Welcome to Security Architecture Podcast, where we help cybersecurity professionals to stay ahead of the curve and ensure they are successful in their cybersecurity journey. Hi, I'm Evgeny. Hi, I'm Dimitri. We have Nicholas here from Lacework. Nicholas, can you please tell us about yourself and the company? Hi, guys. It's good to meet you. So I'm field CTO here at Lacework, and I work with our customers and partners to automate their cloud security at Lacework. And if you haven't heard about Lacework, we view cloud security through a different prism and one of data. So our, our goal is really to automate cloud security by adopting a view that uh, security is a data problem. And therefore, cloud security is a fairly complex uh, problem. So with data, we're able to provide context uh, for our customers to eliminate risk and to automate their security through a couple of use cases, for example, compliance and posture management, uh, user activity, or what we call behavior analysis. Uh, we also look at uh, runtime. So look at container security, workload security, for example, from a protection platform uh, perspective. And we also do vulnerability discovery. And all of this is encompassed in uh, what we call our polygraph data platform. So we have a singular SaaS-based platform. Uh, everything is hosted in the cloud, and we deliver that platform and all the tooling to, to our customers to really develop faster. So that, that's really the goal here for our customers to spend less time on security and more time innovating. IAS, security, GCP, Azure, and AWS is definitely very important with the the digital transformation and everybody moving their instance to the cloud. We are podcast about architecture, so we are very eager to learn more about your architecture and design and how it's working. So please tell us about it. In order to, to satisfy you know, small and large customers, we have to do this at very, very large scale. Whether you have 10 workloads in your cloud environment or thousands of workloads, uh, it, it shouldn't matter to, to a customer what, what Lacework has. Uh, so our, our what we call a polygraph data platform is front, and I'll go from the front all the way to the back end. So at the front, we have the polygraph UI. Uh, which is really the main interface, a single pane of glass that our customers use to get everything from their compliance, their activity, their vulnerability. And that gets ingested into our platform through obviously a front end using APIs. The data ingestion portion of Lacework is very important. We ingest a lot of data because we want to have a high fidelity on, on security events that have happened in our customers' cloud environment. Uh, so uh, I'll separate them in a couple sections because we do different things with all that single uh, data platform that is Polygraph. So the first one is agents. So we have uh, a set of agents uh, that run in our customers' workload. And typically what we do is we push uh, metadata into a receiving service that then uses S3 buckets, for example, to store and batch a lot of data before ingesting it into the backend. And I'll get to the backend later because everything ends up in that backend. We also have, for example, cloud-based accounts. So our customers that have uh, AWS, Azure, or Google obviously have uh, cloud accounts and they may have one, they may have hundreds of accounts. And what we do then is we configure audit logs, for example, uh, it could be CloudTrail and we do cross-account IAM roles to pull in some of the audit logs directly into our ELT. So we do some extraction and then we load it directly into uh, our backend. Finally, we have our own internal tools. We have APIs. We also have integration directly into third-party tools. Uh, so for example, a GitHub Actions for, for your CICD, your repository, for example, for scanning uh, images, all of that gets pulled into our vulnerability scanner. Again, we plug that into some receiving services and, and, and server side, and then we push the results into our backend. Finally, we have uh, what we call the automation portion, so our APIs. Uh, so we have a, a large set of APIs 
inbound and outbound, north and southbound, for example, where we can push uh, alerting or integration into ticketing system, notification system, but also inbound for customers that may need to uh, integrate into specific tools like uh, risk management or compliance. At the back end of it, uh, the, the secret sauce, I think, in a, in a polygraph data platform is really that we're hosted on AWS and our backend is on Snowflake. So we have a very, very large backend that scales pretty much infinite, uh, to infinity. Uh, we have in the order of petabytes of data that we actually train for our, our security uh, automation. The good part of that is that the scalability of the platform is not really a, a thing where we have to invest a lot because our partner in Snowflake really provides that backend for us. Uh, so it allows uh, our engineers to really concentrate on automating uh, cloud security. At the front end, we have a lot of APIs. We have Nginx in the front end. We have a lot of services that run for the uh, the data platform itself, Polygraph, and then at the back end, it's Snowflake. It's very interesting how many different features you have on the one platform. I'm wondering, in majority of the cases, when we're talking about the cloud security automation for IS, we want to understand what you have. So do the discovery, then do the alerting, then do the mitigation. What kind of permission your platform need to be able to do all the things? I went over a couple types of, of uh, ingestions uh, that, that occur. So let's talk, for example, about the, the audit log, be specific a little bit just for simplicity on AWS, but the, the same applies for, for Azure or Google Cloud. So for AWS, for example, we want to access CloudTrail. We create a, uh, an IAM cross-account role for a customer, and typically we import the single account first, and then we can script to import batch import the rest of the AWS accounts that a uh, customer would have. So we do, it's a one and done type thing. And we get that to get all of the cloud resource configurations, for example, uh, and to an analyze the uh, cloud trail event. So we ingest all of that. Now there's a security audit role in AWS. So we latch onto that and we add a couple other audit policy for this. Typically we have our own IAM policy uh, so that we can get uh, read access to the CloudTrail logs, which is important. Uh, and then we use uh, SNS topics and SNS queue to understand when there's new activity to, to go in. The other types of things, if you have S3 buckets that are encrypted, for example, we need to access to key management just to make sure that we can read those. But uh, typically we create a trail if it doesn't exist or we latch onto uh, the existing- What trail about GCP and Azure? In GCP and Azure, it's a slightly different. The aspect here is that for Azure, we want to integrate with the Active Directory as an application. We have the same type of resource groups that we create to store all of our resources that we provision for integration. And then we have a storage account. And then we have storage queues. And I think the important one is the event grid subscription to understand when new logs come in. And that's in Azure. In Google Cloud, the audit trail log, similar. And then we have a GCP service account that we use to grant access. But through all, all of this is really understanding that we need the least amount of permission. And we're very very diligent about that in, in those types of uh, integrations. The other part is when we run an agent or when we run pipeline integration, for example, the simplest way is really token-based. We get an API token into third-party systems to get read access in, into a GitHub Actions, for example. That That's basically it. I have a question. Do you support hybrid cloud environment as well? Yes. The, the idea of, of Lacework is to provide uh, through the polygraph uh, hence the name, the single version of truth across a cloud account. So when I talk about AWS, Google Cloud product in, uh, in Azure, we like to provide the same level of truth and really parity when it comes to compliance, for example, vulnerability discovery and user activities. So if you think about it, in order to get a compliance from a certain benchmark, uh, you want to be able to, to say that you know, apples to apples to apples. But the reality is some of the tools that are native or the way the logs are formatted 
come out a little bit different. So you sort of have to equate different log entities uh, together to get uh, to that level. From an agent perspective, it's the same thing. The agents would, would run in a Linux environment today. So we support all the distributions across uh, the, the images from AWS, uh, Azure, and Google Cloud. From an agent perspective, when we talked a little bit earlier about permissions, uh, the, uh, the Linux permissions or Linux privileges that we can set uh, allows us to run either as root or uh, non-privilege where the agent starts and then drops its privileges through uh, Linux uh, permissions uh, so that it only runs with the permissions that it needs from a, from a kernel perspective. Thank you. What we would like to understand is how customer becomes aware of need for CSPM and uh, what is his journey to onboard Lacework platform and start using the polygraph? Customers typically will come to the realization that they need to have a, uh, a sanitized posture, if I can put it that way, uh, through a couple of ways. So one is realizing the shared responsibility model. So very early on, they may refactor or migrate to the cloud. And then they realize that through the cloud provider shared responsibility model, uh, you no longer have a perimeter. You no longer have the same DMZ or the ability to do an application firewall and you know, everything outside of that firewall is not to be trusted and everything inside is to be trusted. There's a lot of lateral moves in your cloud environment uh, and the default policies and typically uh, in cloud resources are, are very open. So customers realizing that very early on, others through product maturity. So they may over time adopt point solutions. So they see a very specific problem like trust or or, or application monitoring, for example, or compliance monitoring. And then they solve these uh, through individual comp compartmentalized or incrementalized solutions. And then you start having more and more solutions set. And then you get into uh, an issue where you have diminishing returns, both from having too many tools and having too many employees looking at too many tools, for example, and then correlating and giving the context of these alerts uh, through investigations. Uh, so then you start having a, an increase in time from the detection to the remediation, and then you sort of lose your edge uh, in cloud security. The third one, I, th I think through M&As also, sometimes uh, small companies get purchased by larger companies and they realize that they don't have a posture, uh, they don't have a good security, and then it's driven onto them as well. And lastly, I think, uh, customer demand. So some customers of ours uh, do business in certain sectors, whether it's government or with uh, sensitive information. Uh, and in order to win new business, they, they need to start having a better security posture or, or meet uh, better security compliance benchmarks uh, that they haven't in the past. I'm wondering, because of amount of data resourcing customers, or the amount of different points you're getting, how long would it take to be the baseline? Yeah, so you touch on an important topic. So the Lacework Polygraph platform learns uh, a user's behavior and baselines the activity within your cloud environment. And in order to do that, what we do is we learn uh, individual workloads and the relationship between these workloads from an API perspective, from an application perspective, from a network perspective. And we build a data model through uh, approaches like unsupervised uh, machine learning to understand the cluster of workloads that are like uh, in their relationship. And that's where, for example, uh, we're able to detect uh, you know, zero day or unpublished uh, vulnerabilities where you know, there's no disclosure of it, but it when exploited, it causes your workload to behave differently. So how do we trust the model, right? So when we first uh, start uh, monitoring users' cloud account, what we do is we build a baseline of those relationships. But that's not to say that we implicitly trust everything. There are what we call known knowns or threat intelligence that you would have in the business. Those could be known bad IPs, for example, on 
known bad domain lookups or even uh, known file integrity hashes, right? So we know that this hash of a file is nefarious or malicious and therefore not to be trusted. So we apply both models. We apply what we know to be bad and then we learn what we know to be good. And from there, we build the model of relationship uh, across all the workloads uh, from, from a user's account. And over time, I would say hours to days, we, we baseline very quickly uh, what looks normal in a user environment. And it's not based on scale. It's based entirely on the relationship that workloads may have with each other. Based on the architecture of uh, Lace work, it's a multi-tenant environment. Assuming that you're collecting uh, very interesting data points in one tenant that can be useful for other tenants. Do you leverage uh, this information to make your detection of uh, issues or detection of malicious activity from one tenant to benefit other tenants? So you mentioned an approach here where we would have a huge data lake and we could train our algorithms based on everyone's uh, data or activity to, to understand what's, what's normal and what's malicious, for example. And, and we, don't, we don't do that. So for us, the baseline of a uh, user account a normal activity is based entirely on their data and not anyone else's. Now, there's one caveat to that that I mentioned earlier, like from a threat intelligence perspective, this is fairly low hanging fruit, no really computational load for that to build up, uh, to pull a list, for example, of reputation from IP. But when it comes to a behavior analysis, it's actually done uh, on a per account basis. So even from a tenant, from a customer perspective, they may have different accounts, like a product account or a dev account. They may have feature flags turned on that causes the workloads to behave differently. And for us, that's separate. Uh, and in order to be highly accurate, we need to pull in a lot of data. And that's why, for example, when we deploy agents and when we have audit trails turned on, we ingest uh, a very, very large amount of data. I mean, we have multi-petabytes worth of, of data in our backend, but from a customer perspective, the behavior and the analysis of that behavior is done uniquely on their accounts. With the amount of different types of features you guys have, I'm wondering, are you currently augmenting a solutions? Are you replacing solutions on the market? What is the view here? So depending on when you uh, learn about Lacework, sometimes it's, it's a bit of a, releva- a revelation that you realize, oh my God, I have eight tools when I could have one. Uh, but the, the reality is we do both. So we, in, in green environment where customers are just standing up their, their configuration compliance, for example, they'll use uh, Lacework from the get-go. Uh, more established customers, for example, they have an existing SIM infrastructure where they are logging a lot of data. Uh, and they're like spending a lot of time writing rules where a lot of security teams are trying to distribute those incidents response uh, events. Uh, what we typically do is we can front end uh, some of these uh, existing products like a SIM, for example, uh, and provide this really, really high signal to noise ratio, really find what I call the needle in a needle stack of what is the actionable uh, alerts or, vi- or compliance violations, for example, that you need to go fix, provide the right context. And that does two things. First is it, it really optimizes the security team. And second is it decreases by an order of magnitude the amount of data that you need to ingest for your SIM for compliance, for example, we're in a GRC role to, to have historic logs, the amount of data you're going to ingest is going to be reduced dramatically. Uh, and therefore, you, you simplify your, your SIM and your, your, your security and operations team uh, tooling. Uh, so, so it's a bit of both. Sometimes we replace, often we complement, uh, but uh, overall, we tend to provide a single pane of glass, like you said, uh, across multiple use cases. Do you use your own product to monitor your own production system for cloud security? 
Yeah, so I think uh, I'd be remiss if I had to mention that we use competitors product in our own uh, infrastructure, right? But uh, no, we, we use it. And in fact, it's very useful because uh, and we have a lot of accounts ourselves in our own, in the Polygraph data platform. And some of our own, for example, red team exercises that we do, sometimes we, we try to go around uh, in our own accounts and do things in AWS and we see it back in our own Polygraph. So it's a really a confirmation for us that the product does work. And you know, for me, for example, as a field CTO, it gives me a lot of confidence that I'm not going to have surprises in the field because I do use the product and I do see the reports of the product and it actually works. So yes, uh, we, we do use our own product. Many customers struggle between using the native tools from the GCP, Azure, AWS, and using third parties like national firewalls and valves. Can your product help with the mix of different native products and third party products? Yeah, like I mentioned, for example, uh, CloudTrail. Right? These are the type of products that we, we work with. And whether it's in uh, AWS or Google Cloud, for example, we had a recent announcement where we've become a partner in the, in the marketplace there as well. So a lot of our customers actually use native tools and a lot of customers continue to use native tools. So what we do is really we give correlation and context and attribution uh, for these tools. So if you look, for example, like I mean, security groups, for example, you know, versus like a firewall. So what we'll do here, for example, is we'll provide things like least privilege recommendations. We'll look at the users that are being used. We'll look at attribution of VPC flow logs. So instead of hunting for attribution as to which flow log belongs to which workload and which security group allowed the flow to go in, uh, we'll ingest that ourselves. And we're not we're not rules based, so it eliminates a lot of the rules based tool that that may be native. But our users typically continue to use some of the native tool, but they tend to sometimes decrease the quantity of these tools uh, so as to be more effective. How does this work integrate this popular CI/CD tool? How you help to shift left and how are you checking the information during the deployment? At Lacework, we're spending a lot of time shifting left. And, and that means really to integrate security into the DevOps process. Uh, so I was mentioning earlier the, the sources of data that we have and the outbound data that we connect to. Uh, so we have proxy scanners and, and scanners for vulnerability. And we'll integrate, for example, in the GitHub Actions or in Jenkins pipeline. And we'll apply our vulnerability scanning tool directly uh, as a step within uh, your CI/CD process. Process. And that really helps us uh, identify container vulnerabilities, for example, code dependencies, vulnerability, uh, even non-OS packages, for example. And we recently acquired a company called Soluble that really puts us at the forefront in, in infrastructure as code scanning. So by integrating it into uh, your repo, for example, uh, you can actually scan both uh, the static code analysis in the future but do infrastructure as code scanning. And then what you can do is you can have an admission controller. So you can decide in your pipeline, I'm going to scan for vulnerability. I'm going to scan for best practices. And that's really the best part uh, of the DevOps process where you want to find this, not, not so much at runtime. And then with an admission controller, you can decide if I have CVEs that are present in some of the code dependencies that I have, I can stop the build or I can actually open tickets, for example, for the developer uh, to fix that and we'll provide the context to do this. Uh, so it's very important for us that we can be present as early as possible into the development process because then the time to fix is really, really quick versus if you had to commit it, scanning your images uh, registry, for example, takes a little bit longer now to go back into your, your pipeline process. Or if you don't do that and now you're at runtime and then we find it at runtime, then you have to push it all the way back and then recommit your code, right? So the earliest that we can find it in the CI/CD process, the better, and we have the tools to do that. And again, all of that 
gets brought back into our backend as to one data set. So we can actually identify, for example, a compliance violation that may be in your runtime environment in the cloud and figure out where it was introduced in your development process. If something changed, for example, and, and, I, and then give the right context to the developer to go ahead and fix that, that violation that occurred because we detected a drift in your state. You mentioned this magic word compliance. So let's talk about compliance framework. What do you guys see there? What do you see important? What's less important? And what may be your recommendation to be more mature in this space? From a compliance perspective, some customers come to us because they are maturing enough that they want to be SOC compliant, for example, or they want to do some ISO compliance. The reality is it, it's not within the reach of a lot of companies to have a dedicated CISO to do these reports or even to do these audits. And what we provide them, because we have continuous observability, is we can give them a daily report of what their compliances are. If they have violations, then we get really interesting because now we can track uh, what caused the drift that caused the compliance violation, what security risk it introduced. And that's really uh, what an auditor wants to see. Show me your compliance. Show me when you deviated and, and, and had a compliance violation. Show me how you addressed it. Show, show me your time to resolution and, and what you did to apply that resolution. And we document all of that. And, and then we can actually then generate a SOC 2 compliance report on a daily basis or weekly basis or even ad hoc on demand. More importantly, if you have something like GRC where you have governance, we have risk management, we'll score those. So if you have a, a, an exposure or a vulnerability, for example, even let's say a CV that's critical, we'll be able to audit that right away and give you what's your exposure on the network, how many images you may have had, where they were deployed, where they're running or not, and we'll score them. So then you can actually then extract that from either our, our API or from the report itself and get that into your GRC department and file that. Uh, so, so you can actually now have a compliance uh, tracking. I want to piggyback on Evgeny's question. When you identify consistencies in compliance, can you mitigate them as well automatically? Our approach to, uh, to the compliance violations is to provide all of the context to it. So what caused it, where it deviates, when it happened, to provide what is the remediation to it, to also know where uh, it needs to be remediated. So having some alert channel capability and filtering based on the type of compliance violation to the right team. So it could be your DevOps team, could be your security team, could be your IT shop that needs to fix the, uh, the drift or the compliance violation. And then what we'll do is we'll provide a lot of context and, and click through resources, for example, in a report or the email or the JIRA ticket, for example, to the actual syntax that needs to be applied in your account uh, to fix the, the resource that is out of compliance. So while we don't do active blocking, what we'll do is we'll, we can actually partner with partners that do this, where we'll provide the actual CVE and then they'll source the actual you know, click button to fix. But what we'll do is we'll provide all the syntax needed to actually fix that very specific resource. So it won't be like a generic fix to be applied, but it will actually have the context of the resource itself that is uh, drifting away from uh, compliance. This brings us to something that we learned from your website, which is the five W's. Is it a common uh, terminology or it's something that's related to lace work platform? Uh, so the five W's is, yeah, you're right. Uh, you see that on our website is the who, what, when, why, and where. And I can actually give you some, some uh, context to that. It is present on, on the polygraph uh, interface. So I'm just going to share my, my browser for you so that you can see it. So, so here's the uh, intro to what the polygraph uh, interface looks like, right? So we see our security posture. As I said, you have a lot of ingested data. In over 180 days, we really want to bring a high signal-to-noise ratio of, of actionable, critical, or high uh, alerts that we want to have action on. What 
the event historically would look like here, and I'll just pick one here, which is a log4j, we can go into it. So I have a, a lot of, we'll see by the color, high and critical events, but I have a moderate one here. And this is where we're presented with the card immediately when we try to, to click on it to get some detail. So here we see the five W's presented in the event uh, that has a severity of medium. And in, what we see are the why, who, what, when, in, where. So essentially, it's a very benign uh, event, right? We see that simply that there's been an external connection for, to the object website of GitHub uh, by a Java process uh, running as a certain IP and under user root uh, in our cloud uh, workloads. So we see that it was root. We see the Java process under what. We see the container what, where it's located. Uh, we see when it occurred and we see where it went, which is GitHub. Uh, in and of itself uh, looks fairly up on the level, but it's a variation in the behavior in that we've never seen this Java process do that before. So when I try to look down here into the activity, I can see in the polygraph that this is the activity that was flagged. I have a Java process that connected to three places, looked up GitHub, the user content, uh, did a DNS lookup as well for the corp LDAP and then connected to GitHub. Now, is this malicious? Well, it's different. This is why it's red here. It's, it's flagging that this Java process is doing something different. Now, if I then highlight and zoom in on this specific Java process, then I can actually see in the polygraph exactly what it did different. In this example here, we have a Twitter bot. And basically, it's a Java process that connects to Twitter, and it has a log for j running. And all of a sudden, we see the reason why this was flagged is that not only does it normally connect to Twitter, but now it connected to these two DNS lookup. It went on GitHub. It actually also looked up Bitcoin, a miner, right, XM ring for a cryptocurrency miner. So we know that this is completely abnormal. And now I see exactly what the activity. Can I see is. how much money generated? Uh, hopefully, well, you know, if you're able to infer the CPU usage that this process caused, then you may be able to <laughs> calculate how much money you're making here. But you know, obviously, this this has been compromised, right? Now I can see, like, imagine this is pre-CVE of log for shell for example. I have no name associated with this right now. It's December 1, uh, the CV has not been published. And I'm looking at this and say, okay, well, I have a Bitcoin miner that is actually within a Java service, which is not normal. And I can see what's running here, that I have a Java process running. If I look back at my event here, I see that it's actually running log4j. So now, it's pre-zero day. It's an unpublished critical vulnerability. But I see right away, because the behavior of the Java binary changed, because it went and looked up a different host name, because it connected to an external website, this is being flagged. Now, immediately, I want to know, you know where, where is this present? Uh, where, which containers run this? And I can find here all my container IDs and when they were started to run this type of behavior. Now, I can also look at my exposure and see you know, how many containers do I have that have this actual binary present. And I can find now and, and really look at, now I have my vulnerability post uh, CVE announcement and I can see where they are and where I can fix them. So now I have a list of priority available to me and it all started with a very innocuous behavior. A Java process looked up a different host name and immediately what I was given is enough context to the who, what, when, why, and where, as you were asking, to really get to the bottom of the investigation and really accelerate my remediation. Given that you're integrating in a DevOps process and you know the software composition analysis of most of the build artifacts, 
would it be possible for me to say, hey, I want to know where I have log4j of version 2.14.1 running? For example, when the log for shell uh, vulnerability came out, a lot of people spent a very long weekend trying to audit their cloud accounts and see, first of all, do I have log4j? Is it installed as its own package? Is it installed as part of a third-party uh, software installation? Uh, do I have it in my images? And what images are they running? Uh, are they exposed if they're running? And yes, sir, we have multiple sources of data. So we have file integrity management. If I know the hash of the jar file for log4j per version, I can find it, whether it's attached as an OS package, as a package dependency uh, with a third-party software, or, for example, just running as a process. And then I can actually then find through my proc table as an agent, for example, where it is running on my network or where it's just on the file system. So there's a differentiation here. I have a log4j, but it's not running or it's not exposed versus if I have a log4j that's actively uh, exposed in my cloud accounts. The second one is where in my images, I may have a lot of images, container images that have log4j, which ones are actually deployed and which ones are not. And then finally, where in my code base am I actually including dependencies for log4j? So at any given uh, step from runtime all the way down to build time, the ability to understand your exposure to log4j is really critical, for example, from a compliance perspective, but also from a remediation perspective, understanding where do you go first to remediate? Where do you start? And that's where threat assessment and the scoring of that vulnerability. So log4j in and of itself came out as critical, but if you all of a sudden you have 894 instances of log4j in your network, you need to know with the limited resources that you have, where to go and act first to remediate. And we'll give you that ranking based on the exposure that you have uh, on your network in your registry and in your code base. So Nick, I have a question about uh, cyber insurance. We know that premiums are skyrocketing during the last year and the attack surging. How do you think a CSPM solution can help customers to lower their premiums? Yeah, so CSPM or security posture management is really the first thing uh, to do. Uh, and and if, if you don't have that, uh, you're not really closing your doors and you know closing your windows at night uh, and, and anybody can get in. So if you don't know what's going on in, on, uh, in your network, then your risk goes up. And I would imagine your premiums may go up as well. So an auditor would like to will want to see uh, that you're applying best practices from a security configuration perspective, uh, that you understand uh, the security risk that you may have uh, across all of your cloud accounts. And CSPM is really the first step uh, to like securing your cloud accounts. From there, understanding from an audit perspective, having continuous observability, what is uh, your compliance to different security benchmarks? How often you, you actually monitor for that compliance? Because if you only do a yearly check and then you have your report on a shelf, it doesn't really help when, when someone comes into your network and then they exfiltrate all that data, for example, and start stealing your intellectual property. So having a continuous observability of what your compliance is checks the box uh, from, a, from a, a risk assessment perspective. Uh, and then continuously hunting for vulnerabilities, for example, in your runtime, then adds layers of security uh, to your security posture. So it's not just about being compliant, doing your audit, having your books uh, in order on a yearly basis. We've gone too long just doing that, and it doesn't really help uh, when we have a, a breach, for example, that we were compliant six months ago, so we should be okay today. Uh, so from uh, a risk assessment perspective, that's going to start becoming more thorough to understand in real time, what is your compliance 
today, right now, show me and show me when uh, when you deviated, when you had a violation and show me how you remediated it. I think it is going to help uh, keep uh, uh, those breach costs uh, lower from an insurance perspective, for example. Nick, thank you very much for your time today. We definitely learned a lot about you, about the technology and what you guys do and how you guys contribute to cybersecurity. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and join us for our next episode.